pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. We thank you for this worship. We thank you for the reminders of who we are and who you are and how much you love us. As we come here today, Lord, I pray that we would take the events of last week, positive, negative, challenging, encouraging, all those things, and that we would just set them aside briefly for the next few minutes so we can focus on you, your word, what you have to say to us, and what you want us to know so that we can go into this week hearing from you, loving you well, and being obedient to what you want us to do. Encourage us, Lord, in this hour. Pray that we wouldn't just hear truth, but we would be able to apply it. Help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to you. It's good to be with you. It's always good to be at Waterford. I always like coming here and, and uh, enjoy every bit of the, the worship and the time of interaction. It's always good to be with Gary and Abby. Thanks, guys, for having me. Gary still wants me to come. That's good. Renee and I spent last Christmas up in Chicago. We like to go up north, visit our uh, daughter and, and son-in-law, two grandkids that live there, and remind them how warm it is in Orlando. It's just sort of a gloating thing that we do. It was very cold there that Christmas. We did Christmas, did Christmas Eve service, and um, it was a really a great service, the church they attended to, and uh, the pastor did a wonderful job. And he mentioned two people during this uh, Christmas message that uh, made an impact on me, and it, it really interested me. Uh, one was a woman by the name of Kim Fu. She is a woman who was born in Vietnam. And if you uh, are of my generation, and you probably have seen this iconic photo of a, a picture of a, a group of people running from a misdirected napalm attack, and a little nine-year-old girl uh, with her hands in the air just screaming in pain. It's just, it's, it's heart-rending when you look at this photo. But uh, that little girl was a girl by the name of Kim Fu. And uh, this pastor mentions her in this message. And he mentions her because she uh, had written an editorial piece in the Wall Street Journal about how she had worked through that time of pain and, and, and turmoil, over 45 operations to deal with the burns on, on her body, but she's still alive in Canada, and she shared about her faith in Jesus Christ. He shared that. Another person he mentioned was, was a, a, a man, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Flew, F-L-E-W, uh, and he had written a book. He showed the, t the title page of the book uh, called There Is No God is the, the title of the book, but the no is crossed out, and there's an A that's written in on top, there, in other words, the title is "There Is a God." And, and if you ever heard of Anthony Flew, he was over the past decades probably the most, probably one of the most famous people in the world in terms of being an atheist and debating anyone who believed in God. He he lectured and taught uh, all over the world about how how there is no God and why there isn't any God. But in 2004, he actually changed his mind and he wrote a book in 2010 called "This Book There There Is a God." Uh, he was a son of a Methodist minister. He was educated at Oxford. 
He knew C.S. Lewis when he was a student there in Oxford. He debated in the Socratic Society's prolific author and lecturer. And I was thinking as he shared these two people how different these people are. Here, here, here's a, a woman halfway around the world from Great Britain. Someone who grew up in a, in a small village, not that wealthy, and, and, and a man educated in the finest academic institutions in the world, from a family of, of, of wealth and prestige and power. Two different people, all going through what, what we are going through, all of us, and that is our journey, our journey of trying to figure out, okay, what is it that we believe? How do we deal with our challenges? How do we deal with our doubts? That's hard to believe. Have you ever said that? That's hard to believe. Have you ever doubted the existence of God? Have you ever wondered, is, is there someone really there? My prayer's just bouncing off the ceiling. Is this just an exercise in futility? You've been sold a story that just isn't true when it comes to your faith, if, or if you are a believer, you're skeptical that God really can come through for you. Remember, I was uh, just in my early years in ministry. I was doing campus ministry in, in uh, southern Minnesota, Mankato State University. I was in the dorm room of a, of a freshman student, and, and I was talking with him about the person of Christ and, 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 and sharing with him what, what uh, uh, the gospel was. And, and uh, we, we had a good conversation. It was a nice guy. He got to the point and said, hey, this is, this is what we're called to do, and, and, and um, uh, I wondered if you would be interested in doing that. And I, I remember the look in his, his eyes and a little smile on his face, and he, he said this. He said, you know, three years ago, uh, my father was very ill, and um, they said he was going to die, and I was afraid my, do my dad was going to die, and I prayed to God. I, I prayed that my dad wouldn't die, and he did. And I remember he looked at me and says, I, I want nothing more to do with God. I, I, he's not there. So we have the modern-day arguments that supposedly refute God's existence, science, evolution, the advent of rational thought versus spiritual experience, the material world is all we can know, the problem of evil, the offenses and sins of organized religion, there is no afterlife. What are we thinking about that? Disappointment and disillusionment with unanswered prayers and so on. Listen, you and I live in a world that's replete with doubt. There's always something to wonder about. Always something to really challenge our thinking. So with those thoughts, I want us to turn to the passage today. Dad, Gary mentioned that we're going to look at some conversations Jesus had after his resurrection as recorded in Scripture. And I want you to turn to John chapter 20. That's uh, listen in your bulletin as well. At least part of this passage is on your bulletin. If you have your mobile devices, just go on your Bible app. John chapter 20 uh, and begin with verse 19. On the evening of that first day, now, now the context of this, the first day is the day of Jesus' resurrection. And... Uh, uh, this, is, this, these are, this is what John records there. The evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus is, is the Greek word for twin. Thomas evidently had a twin sibling. One of the 12, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So here are these events. They, they've unfolded on this day, this, this, this day as, as at a breathless pace. Mary Magdalene, as we uh, heard last week, Gary preached here, Kaylee at, at uh, Herndon, OJ up at uh, Lake Mary. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, and, and, and the tomb's empty. Peter and John come. They see the tombs empty. They, they don't hang around. They go back. But Mary Magdalene is still there, and, and she sees the Lord. She has a conversation with Jesus. She goes back to the disciples and says, not only is his body not there, but I have seen him. Two men on the road to Emmaus, a village just a few miles to, to the west of Jerusalem, have, have a conversation with a man who joins them on the road. And, and as they, they stop for dinner that, that evening, uh, this man blesses the food, and they, they see that, oh, their eyes are open. This is, this is Jesus. And they run back to Jerusalem. They tell that we've seen the Lord. And then the Lord comes to the disciples. He is in their midst. And he says, peace be with you. These men, still fearful. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. But they, all these reports, they, they're, it's scrambled. They don't know what's going on. It, 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 their, their minds are, they don't know what to believe. But here now Jesus is there. And then we find out that Thomas, one of the 11 remaining disciples, was not even there. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas is an interesting character uh, in Scripture. It really, the Apostle John talks most of, of Thomas of all the Gospels. We've, we've got some references where, where he interacts uh, with the disciples and with Jesus. Back in John chapter 11, verse, verse 16, uh, Jesus, uh, a few days before uh, the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we celebrate on Palm Sunday, Jesus is, gets word that Lazarus, one of his good friends, the brother of Mary and Martha, is very ill, and they're calling for him to come and, and, and see if the, he can heal Lazarus. And Jesus says, waits a couple days and, and, and sort of delays that, that visit, and finally says, okay, now it's time to go. It's time to go to Bethany. And the disciples try to dissuade him. They say, look, it's, it's, you've waited this long. Uh, it's not safe out there. There are people there who, who wanted to harm you. <laughs> Ergo, they wanted to harm us. And uh, we, we, we'd really like you not to go. Jesus says, nope, we're going. And it's Thomas that says in verse 16, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I don't know what the tone was he said that in, but Thomas is sort of like this, all right, let's go. You know, we're in it this far. We might as well go. Uh, this is either a brave statement or there, there's this tone on it like almost of resignation. John 14, Jesus is communicating with the disciples during the Last Supper. And he says, I'm going, I'm going to the Father. And, uh, he, and then he says, you know, you know the way. And Thomas says to Jesus, so Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? 
Thomas is the one that says, come on, you're, you're not being clear. And this, that's when Jesus communicates to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But that's Thomas. So here we get to see a bit of his personality. He's a realistic thinker, probably bends a little bit toward the pessimistic side. He's the kind of guy that you'd say, hey, cheer up. Things could be worse. And he'd come back to you and say, well, I cheered up and things got worse. He's one of those guys, right? Very straightforward, practical. I think Jesus must have frustrated Thomas with his parables. He said, let's get to business. Let's, let's get to reality. Teachings that were just as straightforward and as clear as he would have liked. One of the commentators that, that I was reading on Thomas made this statement I thought was good. He says, a man of Thomas's temperament hugs his wretchedness. You seem to do him an injury if you open the shutters of his heart and let in the sunshine. He's sort of a glass half empty person. I'm not, those of you glass half empty, no criticism. You're the people that really know what's going on in life. All us glass half full people, what do we know, right? Thomas was glass, glass half empty. But regardless of personality, Thomas's journey. So I was reading this. I think, well, you know, this is, this is relevant to all of us, I think, especially to me as I read this in some clear and profound ways. Arriving at strong faith is not an easy process. Have you discovered that? It's not an easy process. And for all of us, we're all on this journey of trying to figure out, okay, what is it that we really believe? So there, there are four brief steps that, that I want to mention here that, that Thomas goes through as he, as he deals with his own personal journey. And I think as I was looking at this, I could apply it to my own life as well. The first thing that Thomas has to deal with in his interaction with Jesus, remember he's three years in this ministry with Jesus. He's following him every step of the way. He gets to see the miracles. He hears the teaching, the interactions. He's, he's closely linked with this man. This man is going to be the man that's going to lead, lead them to a victory of bringing God's rule back into Israel. They're going to throw out the oppressors. They're convinced this is the man. But Thomas has to deal, first of all, with disillusionment. All of us have dreams. All of us have things we really want to happen in our lives. We, we have things to think, oh, if I could only have that, that, that would really be fulfilling. That would make me happy. They can be trivial things. You probably have heard me mention years past, um, I bought years ago an RX-8, Mazda RX-8. Um, that at the time, I confess to you, was my dream car. I really thought if I could have a Mazda RX-8, that would be the culmination of my, of my auto-owning life. That was the dream. And if you remember RX-8, they were really good-looking cars. Um, I, got a, I, I went online, found, found a, a picture of one. They weren't even production, mass production yet. I remember printing that out, and I put it in my drawer, and I'd open my drawer in my office, and I'd look at that, and I said, this will make me happy, and I would close the drawer. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine in, in Lakeland at the time owned a uh, car dealership, sold Mazdas. They came in. He called me. I was oh, what a happy day that was. He says, they're in. I said, save the red one for me. Really? He said, yes, save the red one for me. I went down, saw the car, got in the car. The, my one question was, would I fit? I'm long-waisted. I thought, I hope I fit in the car. I hope it's comfortable. And I remember I, I was test driving in front of the dealership there down, down the street, and I just burst into laughter because I fit, and I looked great, and this was my car. 
And uh, I made a really silly financial purpose, made far more money than I should have, but I was now happy. What price can you put on happiness, right? So I drove this car, and it was brand new on the streets, folks. People hadn't seen them before, and they, people, I, I would just watch people uh, walking, and they would just stop and look, and, and if someone was with them, they'd, they'd point. As I would go by, I said, yes, that's me. It's RX-8. I, I would get gas, and I would, I would just take my time getting gas because cars would come up, and they would look at the car. Oh, nice car. I know. It's a great car. <laughs> that lasted for about a month. And about after a month, people stopped pointing and looking. And uh, frankly, and, and this is because I, I own a Mazda now. They're wonderful cars. But the RX-8, I had to have that car towed four times because of difficulty I had, they, the manufacturer had with the engine. It was not a pleasant experience. I was disillusioned. Ever been disillusioned? Thomas was disillusioned. I wanted to be a doctor when I was in, in, in high school, into college, pre-med major. I wanted to be a doctor. That was my dream. I just thought the medical world needed me somehow. I don't know why. I just thought it would be a good thing to do. And I, I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, I did okay at first. A little, little, little bit of missteps here and there. But organic chemistry came into my life and, and uh, allowed me to see that the medical profession was not going to be in my future. I did not do well in organic chemistry. In fact, I wasn't that good in science anyway. And, and it was a realization of, okay, wow. I'm not going to be a doctor. I remember, remember looking at that, the second semester grade I got in organic, which I passed. I just want to say that, but it but, um, wasn't really stellar. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a dream that's not. Have you ever had a dream that dies? Thomas. Thomas's dream was dying. And he knew it. He was disillusioned. Disillusionment led to despair. Not only were Thomas's dreams not turning out the way he'd hoped, now everything's crashing down. Think of the events of, of the days and hours before Jesus' crucifixion, all this turmoil. Now his life's in danger. The disciples are holed up in this room, locked door. They, they are trembling with fear. When are they going to show up and take us away? When are our lives going to end? In the last three years of his life weren't just called into question, okay, now, in his mind, they were confirmed to have been wasted because that's devastating. He was in despair. I was trying to figure out, once I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor, what, what I could then go into because I sort of wanted to. And my dad, it's funny, my dad says, you should be a dentist. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe dental school will do it. Not that dentists are inferior to doctors. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm just saying, well, maybe that would work. And I took the pre-dental test twice, two times. And it did okay in the academic part, but back then, they don't do this anymore, but they actually gave you a, a large piece of chalk and a knife, and they had you carve this piece of chalk into a shape to see the mental dexterity of your hands. And uh, I thought, well, you know, it's a piece of chalk and a knife. I can do that. I miserably failed the carving test the first time. And I remember going to my dad and saying, hey, I failed this, 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 the part, this part of the test. And he sort of 
smiled at me. He says, you, you never really were that good with your hands. I said, I know. So I remember practicing. I remember, you know, practicing on chalk. I remember trying to do the best I could. I took the second time, failed again. My disillusionment went to despair. What am I going to do now? Of course, it's probably, would you want these hands in your mouth, really, honestly? No, I don't think so. But I remember going, hey, it's one thing when your dreams die, but then to be in despair, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. Thomas, Thomas is in despair. And then that leads him, in that emotional crucible, it leads him to the third thing. And that's denial. And you think about how, how Thomas must have felt. All these people are reporting these things. What's the question you're going to have? Oh, is that really true? Did they really? Is, is the tomb really empty? Did you really see Jesus? Someone maybe just looked like him. Someone who said he was but wasn't him. Denial isn't just ignoring reality. It's more importantly refusing to acknowledge and deal with the emotional and spiritual reality of, of where he was. Thomas was in denial. He wasn't having it. Already had the disillusionment. Already was in despair. Nope, he wasn't having it. And his responses to the ten disciples was nothing short of derisive. I mean, it would be one thing. How would you have responded I would obviously have been disappointed. We, FOMO, you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Can you imagine what Thomas felt? Great. These 10 are here. I'm not here. I don't get to see this. Instead of saying, oh, I, I, you know, I'm having a hard time believing it, he absolutely denies their report. It's just not true. This is where he was emotionally. He's barely surviving here. And he views this meant as, uh, event now as nothing more than a corporate hallucination. You guys are crazy. He bitterly refutes the other ten disciples in, in, in this account. And he gives this angry and haughty challenge. He, here's, here's Thomas. You ever felt this? I'm not going to get hurt again. They're not going to put me in a place where I'm going to be hurt again. not going to do it. Not going there. I remember spiritually going through all this in college, and I remember my faith was just ragged and, and threadbare. And, you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't have verbally denied Jesus, but I will tell you my life, how I lived, how I reacted to people, my relationships, my life was a denial of who Jesus was. Disillusionment leads to despair. Despair many times can lead to denial. So put yourself in, 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 in Thomas's position. Here he is. The disciples say, we've seen the Lord. He showed up here. Right, uh-huh. Door was locked. Nope, he was here. He appeared. This is what he did. I'm not going to believe it. So Monday comes. Tuesday comes. Wednesday comes. Thomas is still around. Where is he? Don't see him. Thursday. Friday. Saturday. Here's where I give Thomas credit, and I want to encourage you as well. If you're having struggles, still be there. Thomas was still there. 
He didn't have to be. He could have left. He could have gone back to where he, his original home was, but he, he stayed there. There was something in him that, that enabled him to just be there. And then verse 26. A week later, Sunday, the, the, the Sunday of the week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Okay. How would you feel if you were Thomas? What would you be thinking as Jesus turns his face toward you and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus looks at this dear man and he says, Stop doubting and believe. Thomas responds, verse 28. And I want to submit to you that Thomas is, all the things that you might say about Thomas, this is the absolute perfect response. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord, you're the one in charge. My God, you have all power. Kaylee, last week in her resurrection message, heard it says, when Jesus disappoints our expectations, it's because he has exceeded them. I love that statement. When Jesus disappoints our expectations, I think Jesus needs to do, I think Jesus needs to do this. No, you might say no, but I'm going to exceed them. Have faith. Gary said here last week, you know, you, we, we, we have to go from the perception of what God is doing, what we think he is doing, to the reality of what God is doing. What he's really up to. my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, sort of words for us, ready? This is, this is encouragement. Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Anthony Flew, I got the book, I read it, it's, it's brilliant. It's stuff I, half I don't understand, but you know they're smart, right? It's just, this, this, is, this is really, really good stuff. And what he does is he takes, in this book, he says, here's my journey of faith. And uh, he's now in his 80s, and in his introduction, he says, a lot of my compatriots think I, I'm, I've lost my mind. I haven't. A lot of people think that I'm worried about not going to heaven. He says, I'm not sure there is a heaven yet, so don't, don't, you know, don't dismiss me on that. He says, but I'm going where the evidence is leading me. And he takes through this wonderful, wonderful journey of, oh, yes, I understand that there really is a creator of the universe. And yes, he is someone who, who has an interest in me. And then this clever old gentleman, he wrote the book in 1910. I love what he did. At the, at the end of his book, he has an appendix and one, uh, two appendices, and, and, and the last one is a, an, a, a, an article written by N.T. Wright on the proof of the resurrection. And he says, I'm not even a Christian yet. He says, but 
And if you read, read this appendix, it's beautifully done. N.T. Wright does a great job in terms of, hey, this is, this is why Christians believe the resurrection. This is, what, this is what happened, and this is why we hold on to that. And then Anthony Flew, who's at, at least at the writing wasn't a believer yet, he says at the end of this, this N.T. Wright uh, article, he says, that's absolutely wonderful, absolutely radical, very powerful. A man going from there is no God and dealing with all those doubts to now embracing the fact that he exists. I don't know if Lou's a Christian yet. I don't know if you're a believer yet. You might not be. And if you're not a believer yet and you're here, thank you for being here and thank you for opening up your heart to maybe what God might be, be telling you through his word and to the person of Jesus. Uh, if you are Someone with questions, and I obviously can't answer all those questions here in, in a message, but we have a wonderful thing called Starting Point that uh, begins here 1230 today. If you want to come back and join us, this is for people that are just new in their faith or not even sure if they have a faith yet. This is a place where questions can be answered. We'd love to have you there if you want to join us for that. But what I've concluded here is that people, people don't need more proofs you know what they need? You know what you and I need? I need this all the time. I need an encounter with Jesus. I need a face-to-face -face with Jesus. I looked up the uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal of, of Kim Fu and beautifully written woman now, I think in her um, 50s and uh, has a picture of her and she just shares her story. And she writes in this article, she said, my salvation experience occurred on Christmas Eve, 1982. She was in a small church in Vietnam, still undergoing all these surgeries, a lot of personal pain, physical pain, emotional issues. She said, Christmas is about the gift of Jesus Christ, who was wrapped in human flesh and given to us by God. Something was shifting inside of me, as this pastor told me of this. I had so much pain inside of me, I wanted to pursue life instead of holding fast to the fantasies of death. So she writes, I stood up, stepped out into the aisle, made my way to the front of the sanctuary to say yes to Jesus Christ. I felt the kind of healing that can only come from God. And she concludes her article. She says, no matter what kind of pain or sorrow you may be experiencing, I encourage you not to give up. Hold fast to hope. The peace of God I found can be yours as well. And I pray that it finds you. You still have doubts? Take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Allow him to show you his hands and his feet and his side. And then come into the joy of proclaiming, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality that we see in the life of Thomas, the reality that we can see in our own lives of, of struggles and difficulties, times where we're wondering where you are or even if you're there. I pray for myself and every man and woman here. I pray that you would allow us today to bring any areas of struggle, any areas of doubt, any areas of, of resistance to you. And I pray 
not so much, Lord, for me and, and my brothers and sisters here. I, 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 I pray that, that we would see you. We don't need to see answers so much as see you. And once we see you, Lord, help us to, to follow you and walk with you in a way that will give you glory. Letting you know that we are going to follow you and that we trust in what you can do in our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's name.